Now the story of a sunken ship, tragedy, and treasure. Um, it remains one of the deadliest maritime disasters in the history of the Pacific Northwest. And it happened not too, too far from where I'm sitting tonight in Victoria. In fact, it left not too, too far from where I'm sitting tonight in Victoria back on November the 4th, 1875. The paddle wheel steamer SS Pacific set sail from Esquimalt, which is in the Victoria area. It's where the military base is now, heading to San Francisco with between 275 and 400 people on board. Uh, but including unticketed passengers, it's hard to know exactly how many people were on the ship that night. And commercial cargo as well, it's believed that included 200 pounds of gold. Of course, that was right in the middle of the gold rush, right? As the cliche goes, it was a dark and stormy night. And as the Pacific headed out into the open sea from the Strait of Juan de Fuca that separates Vancouver Island from northern Washington state, she collided with another vessel while rounding Cape Flattery, it's called. The Pacific would soon sink, and only two of those on board, I believe, would live to tell the tale. Remarkably, it sat there ever since. Now, nearly 150 years later, a team of explorers has discovered the wreck, and we may at last see the Pacific lifted from the depths of the ocean for which it was named. Jeff Hummel has spent decades searching for the ship. He's the executive director of the Northwest Shipwreck Alliance, and his company, Rockfish, of which he's president, was set up to locate and retrieve the Pacific. They've now been giving salvaging rights, have now been given salvaging rights to go find it and get it. According to the U.S. court filing, the ship was carrying, again, 270 passengers and a cargo that included, among other things, gold. And Jeff Hummel joins me now. Thank you so much for your time. What a story. Yeah, thank you for having me, and that was a great synopsis of the story. Well I hope done. I didn't give it all didn't give it all away. I know there's lots to talk about, but you you read about this a very long time ago. This is something you've been thinking about and following for years now. It's possible I'm the slowest person to ever find a shipwreck, but uh, it took a lot of persistence to uh, you know go after this particular wreck. Um, I first learned about it when I was in high school. Uh, in a particular history book uh, about the Northwest, and it seemed intriguing. I um, met up with a, a good friend of mine, Matt McCauley, in uh, high school, and the two of us salvaged some World War II airplanes out of Lake Washington, ended up in federal court when we were 20 years old, uh, got clear and free title to the airplane, and this particular project you know, seemed intriguing, and so I started doing research on it and gathered some people together and made various attempts, and it was kind of on and off effort for a number of years. And then, um, you know, recently we've had some success. Yeah. Tell me a bit about the SS Pacific itself, because I'm actually in Victoria, so not too far from where she set sail. Uh, it, w- it was a time when a, a ship going from Victoria to San Francisco was, was not out of the ordinary, right? And this would have been, I gather there were some pretty important people on board. It was carrying a lot of stuff. Well, you know, at the time period, um, this was the main transportation up and down the coast. Uh, this particular ship was the first regularly scheduled uh, transportation between Seattle and uh, San Francisco. And, you know, when you do an endeavor like that, you you know pick up the other local cities. So Tacoma, Seattle, uh, Port Townsend, and Victoria were the primary cities uh, in the Northwest at the time. Um, the sidewheel steamer had been built in 1850 for the California Gold Rush. So it was a little long in tooth, you know, in, a, in an era before good wood preservatives and good paint and those sorts of things. And so it was, it had a, you know, kind of a rough life and a rough few years, but it had refitted and, and prepared for this uh, particular uh, run. 
And what happened? Because it, it, it I mean, it rounds, if you leave the straight, straight of Juan de Fuca, you round out into sort of, I guess, the open ocean, right? Um, and it was just as it was sort of making that turn and heading out that it, that it encountered another ship. Is that right? Well, it was actually a, a number of miles down the coast. So they had actually okay. cleared the Cape. And it was very unusual circumstances. So not only did it sink due to a collision, but it also sank in the first few hours of a 100-year storm. In fact, at the time, it was the lowest barometric pressure that had ever been recorded in the Northwest was uh, uh, during this storm. So they headed down the coast, uh, and the um, nephew of one of the owners of the ship, he wanted to kind of work his way up the ranks uh, on the Pacific. And so he had been given uh, this particular watch. And as often happens in maritime disasters, you know, it's the least experienced guy on the worst watch and the worst conditions. And he just didn't have the experience, you know, for that particular situation. Coming up the coast was a vessel called the Orpheus. And um, on board that, the, the captain had uh, told the, the first mate, he said, you know, if you see a light, you know, ahead, starboard the helm, which means turn offshore. So as soon as he went below to consult with his chart, um, you know, the captain could tell that the boat had turned. So he put his rain gear back on and went up on deck and said, you know, what's going on? And they said, well, there's a light just off the port bow, which if that was the Cape Flattery right, light, that meant they were just about to run ashore. So the captain assessed the situation. He said, well, that's not the, that's not the lighthouse. That's the masthead uh, light of a steamer. And it's, you know, pretty close. And uh, on board the steamer, you know, the, this young guy at the helm, you know, with no experience, uh, he was told he couldn't change direction unless he had permission for the officer of the watch. Well, officer of the watch was in the after salon, you know, making friends with all these rich uh, gold miners on board. And uh, by the time they got up to the wheelhouse and assessed the situation, uh, they never made a course correction. And they basically, the two ships collided and um, 12 inches of oak versus two and a half inches of, you know, 25 year old. Oak, the uh, the new oak wins, and the Pacific went to the bottom, where it's remained right for for all this time. Um, yeah, what's remarkable, but it, I, I, and I guess the, there must have been people knew it was there, but there were I guess it's it's a well known story, but there must have been attempts over the years to try to figure out how to retrieve it. Yeah, as far as I know, there's been a, you know six or seven attempts. There's a few that I'm just kind of vaguely aware of. Uh, the first effort I know of uh, happened back in 1985. Um, you know, before kind of the newer modern equipment uh, existed. But um, yeah, people have been looking for the ship for a long time. Tell me how coal came into play here, because I gather that's one of the clues that you latched onto that allowed you to figure out perhaps where it is. Well, we did a lot of analysis on what they call renav, where you take all of the navigation elements, the speed of the ship, the speed of the current and the, the course they steered and all that sort of stuff. And you come up with a mathematical probability area, but the, it was very large because a number of the variables you're just not able to pin down. There's just no factual basis for making it a smaller area. So uh, in doing my due diligence, and um, I worked in the marine electronics field, I was out and about, you know, dealing with different commercial fishermen. And so I started to interview these people that had, you know, fished on the coast, and eventually uh, just kind of by luck, I you know, latched onto this one particular fisherman, and his brother had found you know some coal. And by coincidence, he, he still had the piece of coal because it was so strange for him to get this piece of coal. So I found a geologist uh, on uh, in the Victoria area, 
And I expected, you know, if I did some analysis, that the coal would have come from Victoria because the day before they'd taken on 230 tons of coal. It seemed to me that if you had this piece of coal, you could trace it back to a particular coal mine. And this woman that I found, this geologist, she had samples of coal from all these different old mines. And I thought, okay, this is great. This is going to work. So we had it chemically analyzed by a company up in Alberta. And the results came back, and she said, well, you know, I'm sorry. The coal is not from Victoria. And I'm like, what? Well, where's it from? She says, well, I'm pretty sure it's from Coos Bay, Oregon. So, you know, back to the archives, back to the research. And I learned that the owners of the coal mine, or excuse me, of the ship, owned the largest coal mine in Coos Bay, Oregon. It's called the Libby Mine. Eventually, I found some mining records from World War II, and I was able to match up um, the you know, various parameters of the coal uh, to that particular mine. And so then I knew in my hand I had a, a piece of coal from the ship. And then the question is, well, where is the ship? Where did this piece of coal come from? Right, which would be... So what did you do then? I mean, it's 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 like it's like a detective novel, right? To some extent, as you go through sort of going through all the different layers of the mystery. Yeah, well, there's this principle called Occam's razor, which um, my interpretation of it might be slightly incorrect, but the idea is the simplest story is the the most often the correct story. So the simplest story would be um, he had lost his net on the bottom, and he felt really bad because it was the last trip he was going to do on this boat before he became a welder. And so he lost the net on something on the bottom. And then later he went back with grappling hooks and grappled and got the net back. And we got it. He just got a portion of the net. And in that portion of the net was the coal. And that's right. why he had saved it. But uh, so we went back to that location through a very long story. We were able to get the logbook from the ship and the coordinates of where the coal was recovered. And that was just the beginning of this long string of clues that eventually led us to the location. Because that Occam's razor is not always true. <laughs> The simplest story wasn't that the coal came from that location. It actually came from the beginning of where he had started his fishing trip. Jeff Hummel is with us this half hour, director of the nonprofit Northwest Shipwreck Alliance. We're talking about how he found the SS Pacific, which went down in 1875, just off the coast of Washington State after having left Victoria on its way to San Francisco. So what kind of condition is it in? Uh, Because I would imagine it must be pretty well preserved. Well, that is the unusual uh, part about this story. We had certain expectations of what we might find, uh, and none of those were true. So um, the exact condition of the ship, we are keeping that a little bit of a secret for this uh, time period. But I will say that it is in a remarkable state of preservation, uh, which I think will um, make it a world-class project in terms of any other vessel being quite like what we have discovered. It's extremely unusual um, in our experience to find anything like what we found. Yeah, I saw you compare it to a time capsule in another in it, another interview. Absolutely. It, um, I believe that we will find you know, bottles of wine with the cork still in them. Uh, we'll find things made of leather. I think we'll find things made of wool and cloth. Um, you know, I think uh, it, it, you know, it's going to be an amazing set of artifacts uh, coming out of the project. So how do you salvage something like that? Well, um, we're doing it kind of in a, uh, we, we envisioned a three-year project, uh, three to four years to do the recovery. Um, the first year, we're going to go after um, the artifacts that are in the debris field. So one of the things that we're able to determine um When you read the historical accounts, you're never quite sure exactly, you know, what happened. But we can tell now that um, there was a a boiler explosion at the surface. 
And um, so we found, you know, a fire brick uh, in the debris field. And so there's a lot of material, you know, in, in the debris field. Um, and so we're going to recover that first because it's still um, at the peril of the commercial fishing nets uh, dragging on the bottom. Mm-hmm. So we want to uh, clear out that debris, you know, protect and preserve it, and then move on the second season uh, to the, the main ship. What, um, obviously, the, the, the question of the gold has come up quite a bit. Do you have, I suppose you can't say whether you know if it's there or not. Well, I think um, for certain there is express cargo uh, on the ship. That's, you know, published in you know, many of the accounts. Um, we're not really speculating in terms of what else could be there because, you know, newspaper accounts and stuff like that are kind of notoriously inaccurate. Um, they're sensationalized, especially around an event like this. So, um, you know, we're kind of saving judgment on that. We know the express cargo is there. We uh, hope to enter into an agreement with the um, underwriters of that cargo and uh, successfully recover it. They still exist, the underwriters of the cargo. They never go away. <laughs> um, yeah, so the ownership of a vessel like this is kind of interesting, you know, how it plays out. Um, the underwriters of the ship, the people that insured the ship, um, we know the names of those companies. We know how much the ship was insured for. So they have some, you know, interest still in the in the hull of the ship. And then the underwriters of the cargo, ultimately, it's uh, Lloyd's of London. And uh, we've had right. you know, discussions with them over the years, and um, we hope to you know, wrap up an agreement with them sometime in the near future. And I guess in many ways, this, is, this would complete a journey for you too. And, it's, and it is such a piece of, of the history of this region as well. I imagine you want to see something done to memorialize what happened that night, because it remains one of the worst maritime disasters uh, that in, in memory in these parts, at least. Yeah. Um, on the west coast of the United States, this is by far the worst uh, maritime disaster. Um, later, you know, during World War II, there were much larger disasters, you know, associated with the war. But for our history here in the northwest and, you know, on the west coast uh, of the North America, this is by far uh, the worst uh, maritime disaster. Um, our plan is to build a, um, a museum uh, here in the northwest uh, for the shipwreck. Uh, we have kind of a big plan of building a, a hotel complex and museum and conference center and technology center uh, somewhere in Puget Sound. Um, you know, it could be as far away as Victoria. We'll just kind of see who is interested in, you know, putting together a project like this. It's a, it's a big project. And I think that, the, you know, there's different facets to the whole um, you know, effort that I think make it interesting to you know, people from outside the area. So I think it'll be a, a destination place to go to, learn about this history and uh, learn about the past. Um, there's so many um, untold stories about this particular gold rush. I and mean, so many people have heard of the California gold rush and the Alaska gold rush, but who's ever heard of, uh, you know, the gold rushes in between. And this one was associated with, with one of those in upper British Columbia in the Cassier area and um, 1875. So it's uh, an unknown chapter or a little known chapter of uh, Northwest history. Yeah, yeah, and, and and such such the early part of the history of this region as well to some extent the, the you know the, the settler part of, of of the history of this region, um, and for you too I guess something that you've been following since you were in high school it must feel gratifying to 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 be near the end of the journey. Yeah, well, the end of the first part of the journey, thank goodness. Right. Um, you know, when you take on a project like this, you just never know. There's just so many variables and. Um, you know, I don't feel bad that it took so long to, to find it because, I mean, all the other people that tried, they eventually gave up. 
Um, it has been very difficult to find. It's been much more difficult to find than you know, many of the bigger shipwrecks you've heard of, like the Titanic. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it sank in just these unusual circumstances. And, you know, the bottom of the ocean out in the area uh, has a lot of canyons and different nooks and crannies where you can hide something. And uh, it was hidden for a long time. Well, Jeff Hummel, I look forward to see what happens next. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. And uh, enjoy chatting. Take care.